You guys may not know this, but I had a podcast in the past, and it was a fun thing to do, but it was a challenge to get my podcast to all the locations where everybody listened to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the such were just a lot of work to manage to get everything where it needed to be. Now, though, I found Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors too so that you can get paid to podcast. How awesome is that? Honestly, I'm really happy to find Anchor again because I love podcasting. I love talking about what I do and sharing with you all the things that I like to do as well. So if you're interested in starting a podcast like I am, go to anchor.fm slash start. That's anchor.fm slash start and join today for your free podcast and become part of the community. I can't wait to hear what you put out on anchor.fm slash start. Hey everybody, welcome back to Elevated Office. My name is Eric McGrew and you are watching Season 1, Episode 12. If that, that's going to come up backwards, so really I should do... There you go. For this podcast, a Tree Climbers podcast. So um, I figured since I'm starting a Facebook page as well for... Elevated Office, as well as my Anchor.fm, and of course you can check everything out on my YouTube, that's why I do the video version and the audio version. Um, I would give a little bit of an introduction as to what Elevated Office is. Yes, it's a little late in the season to be doing that, considering this is episode 12, but we'll go over who I am, what I'm doing, what the purpose of this podcast is. Once again, just to refresh some new listeners, I am getting more and more listeners, which is nice. And also, um, we are going to talk today a little bit about investment versus debt for your company. So um, I think you guys will find this interesting. And this is a relative perspective, of course, because not everything can apply across the board. But there are some good principles that I've been speaking to people who are business minded about and that I think can really help us all out. And, and I've made some of these errors that we're going to talk about and I've made some of these good decisions. So, um, so far my, my company's going well and I think that it's a good time to talk about these things. So let's get into it. All right, to start out, my name is Eric McGrew. I live in Montrose, Colorado, which is the western slope of Colorado. Uh, Montrose is one of the larger towns on the western slope. Uh, we have, I want to say, probably 50 or 60,000 in the county now. It keeps growing, of course, in the last uh, census said it was around 40,000, but it's grown quite a bit since then. Um, the city of Montrose probably... I don't know, 20,000 maybe, and the rest are spread out across uh, vast lands of high desert. Yes, we do have trees. Um, some of the common trees that I deal with out here are uh, elms. So Siberian elm is a big tree that we deal with out here. Uh, fairly problematic um, for where they've been planted over the years and things like that. 
We also have plains cottonwoods that were transplants from settlers that came out this way. We do have some Lombardi poplars or column poplars or Roman poplars. People call them all different kinds of things. Um, we also deal with a lot of tree of heaven, locust trees, um, varying juniper species, and we have white fur. Um, I've heard people call something a, a red fur, but I don't really know what that is. Um, we do have ponderosa pines, quite a number of those in the higher altitudes. We have uh, very, a couple of varieties of poplars um, as far as cottonwoods and their different families. We have aspen trees, of course, that we deal with quite a bit. And um, we, have, we have some cedars. And what is that pine? It's pinion pine. We have quite a bit of pinion pine out here. Um, and we don't really have oak trees native here. We do have scrub oak or brush oak, as people call it. Um, they don't get real big, maybe 15, 20 foot tall max. They grow in thick, thick groves. It's more like a brush than a tree, but some of them do get to around 10 inches in diameter. It's about the biggest I've ever seen. They're not, they're not super big. They're super gnarly and curved and crooked and whatnot. And so we deal with that a little bit. Um, but predominantly, 80% of my work is dealt with Siberian elm, the cottonwood varieties, um, I mean the poplar varieties of cottonwood, not, not the Lombardi so much even though there are those locust trees and um, aspen. The, the tree of heaven's not so much either. The junipers, depending on where you're at, and um, the cedars, rarely as well, uh, but they, they do happen. Cedars, I find, um, and pinion pines, I find more to be a situation with fire mitigating work, which I do some of, but this last year I didn't do, I don't think, one job, so that's not that common. Um, I am a unique breed out here in western Colorado for a couple of reasons not that I'm special or anything like that but I am a unique breed because I am a newer and more modernized tree service professional lots of the companies out here are old school guys that were brought up on uh, power line clearing and realized they could make more money running a company to do residential stuff so that's for sure the situation out here um, there aren't tons and tons of climbers out here. Uh, most people have gone to buckets as a general rule. There are some climbers, but still, I'm one of the few. There are a couple of others that I know of, but I'm one of the few that does spikeless climbing for pruning. Most of the old guys still spike everything. Uh, they, they won't even sit down to consider a tree without considering the fact that they're going to spike it. So there's a lot of education that's going on in that uh, situation with my clients. Um, I am across the board as a, as a tree service professional removals, fire mitigation. I do a lot of, um, ornamental pruning and I do a little bit of small orchard pruning and I do a lot of large tree pruning or trimming. So that's kind of what I do and who I am. I am relatively new in the tree service industry even though I have sporadic years of experience with tree service work um, I, I was raised around chainsaws and that kind of stuff so that's not a big deal 
but I don't underestimate or overestimate my experience. I ha- am always taking training courses and I am working to become ISA certified, which I am not currently, but I'm watching um, a, a whole course from the Florida State University. I'm reading the ISA study guide book. Um, I am always asking questions from other tree service professionals and climbers to learn. I spend a lot of time investigating uh, equipment and techniques, and I am trying to be the best tree service that I can. Not only, I'm not trying to undercut people in price, but I'm, so I'm not the lowest for sure. I'm not the highest for sure either. I, I feel like I am a reasonable price for the quality at the highest quality I can. That, that's what I'm going for. A um, couple things you'll know about me pretty quickly is that most commonly I refer to the people I work for as clients, not customers. There's a whole debate on that. We'll go into that a little bit here in the future. And um, the reality is, is that I have invested a lot in my company to time-wise and money, just like we all have. So I I like to share my successes and I like to share my failures. Hopefully that'll help you guys out. I am a very small tree service company. I am the owner and climber. I run a bucket when I need to, which I lease. I do not own one. I don't want to own one. I do about 80% climbing and I subcontract my groundsmen um, to a few guys that I know And a lot of climbing I just do by myself um, and do work by myself. So that kind of gives you an idea of the scope of who I am and what my business is. But that doesn't limit me in work size. I mean, I just finished a job that was like 14 trees of trimming elms. So, yeah, people unfortunately have stated in the local area that I don't do big jobs, which is not true. Um, I do. In fact, I just took down a huge cottonwood and I did that large job of 14 elms. Plus, I've done a lot more big jobs. Um, So, yeah, that's it's not about how many people you have all the time, uh, but about who you can trust when you need them and how willing they are to be trained and work with you as you need. And that opens up whole other topics that I think are lesser thought about in the industry, but I think would be really good to talk about. So we'll get into some of those in the future as well. I like gear. I am working with um, some companies on some concepts that I have, and we're talking about how it might benefit the industry to develop some of these. So there might be some of that coming out in the future. Um, And I really like to support companies that have shown their value to me. So you'll hear me talk a lot about Clogger uh, as a climbing pants company. I I don't think they're the only company that makes good quality products, but for my money, they're the ones that are going to be getting my purchases from now on until something changes, which I hope it doesn't because I really, really like their, their products and I like them as a company. I've met Lincoln personally and some of their sales reps, super great people willing to listen and take ideas from people. Even if they don't put it into practice, they're at least willing to listen and consider there might be an adjustment they could make. So that's pretty stellar of a company to do. Um, And Gap Arborist, I'm I'm a heavy supporter of GapArboristSupply.com. They are a uh, brick and mortar store in Gap, Pennsylvania. 
but you can buy from them online and they have very competitive prices and they are knowledgeable, which is a huge thing because I had a hard time finding uh, people who could speak intelligently to me about products um, online at stores. Most of them were quality customer service reps. They just weren't tree climbers, but that's not the case with Gap. They know what they're talking about. They talk to a lot of climbers and Kyle over there is a climber himself. Ray has a lot of information and um, experience in the, the arborist industry as well. So give those guys a go and definitely check them out if you don't mind. GapArborSupply.com. I'm not being paid to say this. It's just I like them a lot. So they've, they've been super stellar and I've been buying from them recently. And they have some good deals. They have good discounts from time to time. So keep an eye on them. You can find them on Instagram. I don't know if they have a Facebook page. I'll look at it. And if they do, I'll put it all in the description of this video on Facebook and in my YouTube and also in my um, anchor. So let's get on now. That's who I am. But let's get on now to investing versus debt. So is there really a difference between debt and investment? Because isn't it the fact that honestly, when you put investment money into your business, it, it's a lot of times debt? Well, yes and no. Okay, so um, I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine that came and visited and he's a much smarter businessman than I am. And um, it, it's kind of a hard, we, we came to the conclusion it's kind of a hard balance to find with tree service work and this is based on my personal situation now I know that this isn't the case across the board for for any re, uh, any any scope of time um, depending on where you live and what you do it may be that it's very very different so um, let's let's take for instance a guy who runs a fire mitigating company stay with us we'll be right back you love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Is he considered an arborist? Yeah. Yeah. Will he do some trimming work? Maybe. I, I mean, I know a few guys who 90% fire mitigating and then some trimming work. Um, is he going to heavily lean his business investment into equipment that gets fire mitigating work done faster? Most likely. Is there a high potential that he'll spend more money on equipment to do fire mitigating work? Well, that depends, of course, on what level of fire mitigating he wants to do. Up here in the mountains of western Colorado, um, you get small mitigating jobs for these nicer neighborhoods that have like two or three acres and they want it mitigated and a couple of guys or a few guys I should say on the ground one guy running saw a couple of guys dragging brush with a chipper and with the pinion pines and stuff nothing's going to get over like 
four or five inches in diameter. You could run a small chipper um, to a medium chipper and a chip truck and have your fuels and your saws and you're good, pretty much. Um, but we also have lots of places that have ravines and gullies and you might want winches and stuff. So you have to start evaluating what you're going to do to get that all going, right? However, there are also jobs that are like a hundred acres of thinning, not just fire mitigating, but forest thinning for the state because they have the state forestry um, service up here that manages forest property for um, use of, of resources and they thin and keep it up so that the trees, the pines and stuff will grow and then they can use them for lumber or whatnot. And you could be contracted to come in and do that if you bid on them. Um, I, I don't do that. Don't really have a whole lot of interest currently to do that, but it is an option. And so you'll have a whole different level of equipment, possibly. Um, maybe a bigger chipper. Maybe uh, you'll have a logging trailer or a larger dump trailer or whatever it might be, right? So there's a different level of investment to get into that work. Um, so that's always the challenge of investment versus debt, right? And when you get into the residential sector of just doing tree trimming, tree removal and things like that, it's like one or two trees or maybe five trees. Uh, and it, it's more nitpicky jobs, a couple of days here, a day here, a few days there, maybe a week there. It's, it becomes a whole different level of what you have to evaluate. Um, so investment should be something that will start to make you money back quickly, in my opinion, um, and, and from business people that I've spoken to. Um, if you buy something that's at a piece of equipment, especially expensive pieces of equipment that you can't pay off immediately, and it sits all year, except for like once, you, you know, if you only use it like once or maybe a few times that year, if you pretty much can't pay most of that off, was it really worth having? That's the question. Um, and that becomes a challenge because there are also things that you can buy that you'll use every day, but it'll take you forever to pay off. So is that really worth having? Well, each person has to evaluate something. So I spend more money on safety equipment a lot of times. Um, equipment that I don't have to have, but I would like to have because I feel it makes the job more controllable and safer, but I'll use it regularly. And, and with that, the case, that being the case, what is your safety worth? Well, that's up to you. You have to evaluate how much you're willing to put into your company and what it's worth. And therefore I am willing to spend a little bit more on equipment that will keep me safe and my groundsmen safe and my clients safe and their property safe and whatever. But at the same time, you can overspend for sure. So there has to be a balance of what we're doing with this concept. So let, let's talk about like really expensive pieces of equipment versus less expensive pieces of equipment that can do the same thing. In this industry, there are some levels of expense for the professional quality that really don't merit going down to the prosumer grades like saws because the difference in price is only relatively less um so you have to evaluate how much you can spend 
or how much you have to spend to get the equipment versus how long it will take you to get it back, right? How, how, how much will you spend in losing work or how many more jobs could you get done? How much less fatigue would it cause you or your crew to have this piece of equipment? What is the price to have it versus what would the opposite be if you bought a lesser quality piece of equipment? So let's take, for instance, chainsaws from a home improvement store. Um, yeah, some of them aren't terrible from what people say. I don't like them, though, because there's a lot of features about them. They don't they just don't seem to hold up as long. The casings aren't built as well. The motors don't tend to be as refined and they tend to burn pistons and stuff faster a lot of times with that constant, constant use. Also, they tend to have lesser quality carburetors and things and then you run into cranking issues and um, even at some points you can run into um, vapor locking easier with those saws than with the pro level saw. Now it's true, the saw might cost you $300 at the DIY store, whereas a pro saw might cost you $1,400. But how many jobs do you have to do, and how much time would you waste trying to fix the prosumer saw on the job? How many hours of your life would be wasted, and how many jobs could you have done in that time period by paying the extra cost for a professional grade saw versus this prosumer saw? I've found that the analysis of time versus investment versus productivity lends me toward always buying the professional grade saw. On the other hand, there are pieces of equipment that are ideal to have, um, but not absolutely necessary to have. So once again, this is going to depend a lot on the analysis you can do of your job scope and your how busy you are and things like that and this can always adjust that that should be set up front never never think that once you've made a decision it's the final decision right we're not talking about a one time off decision what we're talking about is a situation where you might um, decide that at in the beginning this is the best thing and then later on something else might be better as you grow as a company so investments large companies for instance i worked as a purchaser and safety coordinator for a fortune 500 company and they were always investing in new things but they invested in new things as certain aspects of the company changed or certain clientele were acquired or whatever it might be right so that's kind of how it should be with your business as well, especially as a small company. And I see a lot of people, a lot of people um, getting caught up in keeping up with the Joneses. And there are opportunities out there for you to do similar things, but with a lot less money invested. Now, do know that there are pros and cons to both sides. So it's really... Um, how much you can fight convenience for productivity and immediate profit versus having the convenience but being indebted for a longer period of time and potentially uh, any any advisor will tell you that if you have huge amounts of debt for your company there's a higher potential for you to sink your company just based on the debt um, some companies are so indebted in fact that one month of bad work they, they just fold they can't handle it 
So, um, so I, I don't like to pick on certain things, but definitely like wood handling is a big issue in the industry. And I personally have found that even with these huge cottonwood and, and understand these elms and cottonwood that we're doing can be up to 10 foot, seven foot in diameter. Um, they've been topped a number of times, a lot of times. So a lot of the, you basically have trees growing off of a tree, um, in a lot of these instances. And there is a lot of wood to handle, but I found with some creative work, I, I can find people who will take the wood a lot of times locally or more locally. And I don't need a huge chipper to chip it all up. Yeah, it would be nice. I could get it all done on the, the on the job site and it would be fine. But here's the thing. If you're chipping that much, you still have to make loads or make dumps of chips, right? Um, productivity could be higher with that for sure because it, it goes through faster and it does this and that and the other. But um, if I'm going to have to make that many loads, sometimes wood handling is just faster than chip, trying to chip it all. Um, I, I hear people debate this all the time, so, so please understand that. But... A large enough chipper to run a, a 18 or 20 inch piece of wood through it, which is often the size of these large branches or stems that we're taking off, is going to cost me a lot of money. Um, I'm not even going to go into figures because it depends on the brand, it depends on da 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 da, but it's a lot of money. Versus me, I run a six and a quarter inch chipper, and that seems really small for a lot of people. You could run a seven inch chipper, but I got such a good deal on it because a friend of mine was going out of business as far as tree service work. He was he's a certified arborist, and he's going into the consultant field only. Um, I got a I got a good deal on the chipper, and I've made a lot of money with that chipper, and that chipper cost me a lot less to maintain it there's no way that me buying a 18 inch or 20 inch chipper would have ever equated this profit that I have with a six inch chipper, even with me loading the wood and things. So, um, stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you interested in small businesses? My name is David C. Barnett, and I've been podcasting and producing YouTube videos about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses for almost 10 years. I'm a former business broker and have owned and operated several businesses, and I've been advising business owners since the 1990s. Each week, I create a new podcast which answers one of your questions, and I've always got amazing, exciting guests. You can find me on YouTube by going to smallbusinessanddealmakingpodcast.com or just search David Barnett's Small Business in any podcasting app to find me. I look forward to seeing you around. I bought it wondering if it would be ideal for me, and then I realized, you know what? Even if it doesn't work, I can sell the chipper and buy a different one. But it's been surprisingly well. It, it's done surprisingly well. So using your abilities to find like on um, forums or online what chippers and equipment uh, some guy going out of businesses trying to get rid of might be a good option. I mean, you don't want to... I feel a little bad taking advantage of people. I mean, and I'm not trying to take advantage of them, but I am using their situation to better my company. Um, 
I, I, I try not to haggle them too, too bad about price if I know that they've been struggling for a while and that kind of stuff. But I'll try to get the best price I can for equipment. And it's something that keeps my overhead lower and I can still make a profit with my company. Um, and the same thing goes with other kinds of wood handling. For instance, instead of buying a uh, mini skid or a skid steer, which a lot of people have and talk about getting and how beneficial it is, and I, and I don't doubt it. I've used them, I love them, I think they're great. Um, but it's a lot of money once again, between a 18 inch or 20 inch chipper and then a mini skid even used. I mean, it's so much money. I'd have to, it'd be hard for me to pay that stuff off anytime in the near future. But I bought a used auto crane and I put a Harbor Freight winch on it and it's mounted to the back of my uh, full ton or my one ton. And I can move a lot of wood with that thing very easily by myself. And it's not as convenient for sure, but it works. And the money saved, I'd have to spend a lot of hours, a lot of hours loading wood to make up the difference between the the mini skid and the chipper cost. I mean, because between a mini skid and a chipper, you're looking at easily, you know, close to eighty or a hundred thousand dollars, brand new, used. You can get them for cheaper, but still sixty, seventy grand. Um, that's a lot of dollars to have to make up in speed, with time and extra jobs. And then, so the question is, let's say you get those pieces of equipment and you can actually be faster on the job. Do you have enough work coming in? to fill that void because now if you don't, you just have empty time on your hands that you're still paying for these pieces of equipment. Would it have been better to be a little slower, have, I mean, between my chipper and my my full rig, I have um, less than $10,000 in my trailer, my chipper, my truck, and the welder. I mean, uh, welder, um, the welder, the crane. Um, that's a huge difference in price. And the truck and the trailer are used for multiple different things. They're not all the same dedicated purpose. Granted, a mini skid can do varying things as well, but it, it's it's not the same level of utilitarian versatility that the truck with the crane is, for instance. So, um, where is the value? Is buying the bigger chipper and the uh, skid steer, mini skid steer, whatever, a, a true investment or is it more of a debt? Well, that would depend once again on your company because most likely with that mini skid, you're also going to have to have another trailer, possibly another truck to get it out to the job site or you're going to have to make more trips. So you have to think about not only what the piece of equipment can do, but what are the logistics of owning that piece of equipment for you? Um, cool thing about my little six inch chipper is that it's actually only 48 inches wide, which makes it a little wonky driving it, but it fits inside a five by eight trailer. So I can actually load my chipper inside my dump trailer and drag it out to a job site and then unload it and have both things there um, with one load. And then once I dump my last load, put it up in and take it off. Um, also like, so we deal with a lot of 
backyard stuff where I'm at and some of them don't have good entries or they're not wide enough. And so something I'm looking at is potentially getting a powered wheelbarrow, like a track wheelbarrow by Yardmax. Um, these things are super powerful. You can you can handle up to 600 pounds with them. They rate it. I've heard that you can do way more than that with them. They're not the cheapest thing on the market. They're around um, $2,200, I want to say. There are other ones like Dirty Tools or something that um, you can buy on eBay for a few hundred dollars cheaper. And people say um, Matt Renard in uh, New England told me that he has a Dirty Hand, uh, Dirty Tools one and it works or something. And um, he just said there's not much support here locally so um, in the U.S. So keep that in mind. It takes finding replacement parts, you know, through like... Um, parts houses and stuff or small engine repair or whatnot to get those repaired a little bit more whereas Yardmax Home Depot sells and they have a, bet, a better support system behind them and you can move a lot he runs his in the snow on sand mud backyards whatever and you can do a lot with that thing for um, just a couple of grand and get a lot of wood moved with that thing in backyards and it fits through 36 inch um, fences because it's narrow the one that he has the sides remove and you can put longer logs on it if you have a more open space or whatever um, and it has a dump feature to help dump out the bed the the one challenge with it of course is that it's low so it's not going to dump on top of stuff you'll have to actually like unload it once you've gotten your base layer down but really um it could it could make you a lot of money for a very small investment and there are ideas that i have for these things that i'm gonna work on developing as well and to me that's really an investment because you can make your money back on that very quick now do know though that if you spend two thousand dollars on like 20 things it can become a debt too versus an investment. So you have to always balance this out. And that's a that's a challenge even for me. That's what I'm saying. It's not easy. It's not easy. I just bought a um, RCW 3001 Stein Bollard with the winch on it um, because I've run into a couple of situations now where it would have been really nice to have that winching system. I do also own a rope jack. I own a portable winch and various other things. Each one has their purpose. We'll talk about those in the future, but I really foresee this device being useful um, for hangers that I deal with quite a bit, like big tops that have broken out or big tops that I'm cutting and they're tightly spaced and things. Um, and I think that it will make things just much smoother and safer for me and the groundsman. And I really like the idea. So um, I'm not going to go into this device much right now. But it was a substantial chunk of money. About uh, 1100 bucks is what they cost. I think eleven dollars or $1,200. Um, and then you have to have, of course, the rope and various other facets. And you'll also need a um, anchor for the bottom of it. I got a dead eye sling. And um, so you have to have that to work with it. And so there's a few added costs to it. We'll go once again into that kind of stuff. Now, the question for me was, will I do enough jobs that merit this kind of device? Um, yeah, I think I will. I've been in a number of situations where it would have been super handy to have. And I made it work, but it was very sketchy. made me very uncomfortable and a lot could have gone wrong. Um, so this is something to speed up productivity instead of having to sit there and figure out how am I going to make this work, da-da-da-da-da. 
Yeah, you're gonna have to do that to a degree with this because everything takes planning and organizing. But this truly to me is an investment with a couple of good jobs that merit this kind of device. I've already paid it off. Um, so that's something to think about, right? Um, but could I justify like a good, uh, what is it, a GRCS, good rigging control system? Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, they're twice to two and a half times more expensive than the Stein. Um, there's a lot of benefits to them. I don't think they're bad products at all by any means, but I don't know that I would ever use it enough to justify that is what I'm trying to say. Um, they have certain specific things that make them very capable and a good quality product for sure. But man, you know, $2,400 or whatever is, is steep for that, um, versus 1100 you know? So, um, once again, that I feel like would have been more of a debt purchase versus an investment purchase. The Stein really well made, not quite as refined, but definitely capable. I've seen the videos of Reg Coates using it. Um, so to me, this is an investment, not a debt. And this can go into even smaller things. So I had a pair of Buckingham Spurs, um, Big Buck Spurs. I really disliked those spurs, really disliked them. The pads weren't terrible, but the straps were awful. Dug into my calves, just weren't comfortable. Could never get them adjusted very well because they were the perforated leather straps and da 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 da. And I looked at buying some new spurs, the geckos or the notch geckos or the climberites or the kiwi climbers or whatever. And I was like, you know, I don't spend enough time on my spurs to justify buying aluminum or titanium at a higher price. The hooks and the shanks were good enough. So I looked around and I found the Weaver Pro Cool Pads. Um, it would have only cost about a hundred and something dollars more to get the Notch Gecko spurs. But I was like, you know what? I already have these hooks. I can save a hundred and something dollars by just buying these Pro Cool Pads. And I also bought the Buckingham lower Velcro straps for my feet. And what a difference. What a difference these have made. And I, I, I didn't need to spend the extra money. So to me, that was more of an investment because I've been in them for hours now and totally forget they're on my feet. They stay in place. They work well. They do everything I wanted them to do from the beginning. And I didn't have to waste extra money. So that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Are you, are you investing? Or are you just going into debt? Um, I'm hoping to help people with, I don't want to call it micro logging or micro wood management, but with smaller scale, more affordable wood management that doesn't require you to buy something so expensive as a mini skid. Um, not only are mini skids expensive, but you have to be able to transport them and then you have to maintain them and they're not cheap to maintain. I have a number of ideas that I think would the tree service industry could handle or use at a much more budget price that would be very effective and efficient. Not as fast as a mini skid, that's for sure. But I think that it would be like, if, if mini skid, I think these will be two thirds the speed of a mini skid or half as fast as a mini skid. So they'd still be super efficient and way less expensive. So if those come to fruition, I'll let you guys know. But keep in mind that um, that's a way to make your business profitable for sure. And you can keep evaluating what you're charging by per hour based on how much time it'll take you and all that stuff versus what's a realistic cost. 
but definitely I encourage with all of your climbing stuff. So just as an example, I bought a tree motion Evo saddle when I had a perfectly good saddle, but, and it was 600 bucks, you know, but I bought that because to me, that's an investment. I, my life lives in that saddle. I sit in that saddle all the time for hours when my legs start going numb from another saddle and I can't effectively trim a tree um, as quickly because my legs tingle and things. That's not a good deal. Um, the tree motion stopped all that and I've spent the money on it because of recommendations. So that was an investment, even though it was a chunk of change. Um, so you have to always evaluate that. My truck is gasoline, the F-350 is. And so I'm looking at replacing it with a diesel for efficiencies. Um, and it, the F-350 is older, needs a number of things done to it. Do I invest the money in repairing it? Is that investment or is that a debt? Well, to me, it doesn't get good gas mileage as it is. It costs me a lot of gas to run. Um, it needs repairs. It's old. So it runs and it cranks every time. But is money spent in that an investment or is it more of a debt? And to me, that's more of a debt because I know that eventually I'm going to need a better, more fuel efficient vehicle for the work that I do, especially when I have to go out to the outer skirts of where I live and I'm spending, you know, for a week long job, uh, 280 bucks in gas, you know, um, whereas in a diesel, I'd spend maybe a third of that or half of that. So yeah, investment versus debt, right? That's the way to look at this stuff. Is it truly going to be an investment or is it just going to add you debt to your business that could sink you? Think about if you had two months or three months of no work at all, you know, or very little work. Could you manage? Could you make it or would you be out? It's a good way to think of it. I, I could totally make it. Um, it would be hard, but I could make it. And I could always scrounge up at least some small jobs to pay for minimals with the setup that I have. Uh, and, and that's what I, I think is a good idea. If you have a whole crew running all the time and you have two crews running all the time and all this equipment, can you make the payments on them or are they paid off, right? So, um, and in this case, just know that I'm trying to give some principles that other business people who have been successful have told me and that I'm trying to implement in my own company and I'm finding them to be successful. So I hope this helps you guys out. Let me know what you think about all this in the comments and the um, uh, YouTube video or in um, Anchor on Anchor.fm or on Facebook in my Elevated Office podcast page. Please go like the page if you haven't yet. It'll, it'll help me out quite a bit. And if you're watching there, thank you for being a new subscriber or um, you know, uh, follower to the page and, um, hope that we can talk about more tree service ideas and concepts and tips and tricks in the future. So thanks again, everybody. And I will talk to you in the future. Bye. Just a few things to think of. I'm not saying I am the solution to your problems by any means. I know that each company is different. Each life situation is different as well.